More than ever, I am super selective on how I spend my time, whether it's choosing which emails to read or how I get my continuing ed units. I want value for my time and efforts. I'm Shar Beauchart, and I bet you can relate. So when I say I get my CEUs from SpeechTherapyPD.com, just know their speech-language videos and pod courses are practical and totally worth it. And right now, you have the exclusive opportunity to pay less for the subscription than I I did. <laughs> okay? Memorize this discount code. It's SHAR, C-H-A-R. Just go to SpeechTherapyPD.com, subscribe, and at checkout, type in what? SHAR, C-H-A-R. You get a $10 discount for heaven's sakes. <laughs> Do it now. It doesn't take long. SpeechTherapyPD.com. You and your speech kids will be glad you did. It's time well spent. Welcome to The Speech Link. I'm your host, Shar Beauchart, and I invite you to listen and learn practical strategies from experienced experts to take your therapy to the next level. Sometimes a good knowledge foundation and solid therapy experience pays off. That's the case with my guest today. She's not only worked in the schools as an SLP, she's been the director of one of the biggest school districts in the country, Atlanta, Georgia. When she says she can relate to the therapist that has four kids in a group, and they're all working on different targets, she can. And she gives suggestions on how to handle that difficult situation. The topic today is interactive language therapy in heterogeneous groups. Grab a pen and lots of paper. Here we go. Today, my guest is Deborah Dwight, a highly educated and experienced speech-language pathologist who loves learning. She has two master's degrees, one in early childhood education and another in communication disorders. And she has her doctorate in communication disorders from the University of Alabama. Currently, among other activities, such as doing numerous presentations, she manages a private practice called Speech First Therapy Services in Sharpsburg, Georgia, where she lives. She's been an assistant professor at the University of West Georgia, where she taught courses on language and literacy and language development, etc., and also did clinical management and supervision. Also, she's been the director of the West Georgia Preschool Special Education Program, as well as the program coordinator for special education in the Atlanta Public Schools. And most importantly, she was a practicing SLP in the Mobile, in the Mobile, Alabama County Public Schools, as well as the Coweta County Schools in Noonan, Georgia. Through all of this, she's found the time and energy and the knowledge to write a best-selling book. It's called Here's How to Do Therapy. I love that. Hands-on core skills in speech language pathology. And that is by Plural Publishing. Okay, and a little bird told me that she's working on the third edition that's due out in the fall of 2021. I'm looking forward to some practical information. Welcome to the speech link, Deborah. Thank you, Charlotte. I appreciate your, your invitation to be here. I'm excited about what we have to talk about. So good, me too. Now you are talking about interactive language therapy in groups, the school SLP, heterogeneous groups. That's correct. Yep. And let's just kind of think, you know, interactive therapy is a lot of the therapy that we do, but I am sure that you have some special thinking in the, in the back of your mind about interactive language therapy. What does that mean to you? Well, interactive language therapy to me means that you are actually structuring your therapy 
so that the foundation of the session actually is based on conversational interaction. Mm. That's sort of a hard, um, a difficult concept for SLPs to, to gather and to relate to because we're so accustomed to working on semantics or working on syntax or working on pragmatics, et cetera, et cetera. And all those things are, are valuable. They're good. They need to be done. But in order to get them accomplished so that there is a strong communication impact, my thought is that if we can find a way to make interactive language therapy based on conversations, based on the information that we all know and love, the semantics, the syntax, et cetera, we find that the children actually grasp the therapy Mm -hmm. quicker. They become stronger, better communicators Mm -hmm. quicker. And I I don't know that I'm the person waving the flag to say that everybody needs to do this or this works well for every child, but I've had such strong experiences in uh, in this area, and I just kind of want to share that. You know, as as we get a little older in the profession and we think about legacies and we think about uh, retirement, and I do think about that and have Mm -hmm. thought about it for quite some time, sometimes there are things that you want to leave with the 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 group coming behind you that might be of of some value. And this is one thing that I think if a therapist can grasp and incorporate into the repertoire of what's being done in therapy, I think life will become a lot easier for the therapist and a lot more productive for for the clients. So that piece I want to talk about just a little bit more and then we'll kind of move into to whatever we need to do next. But if if we look at the fact that interactive language therapy has as its foundation, mm-hmm. the conversational interaction, it's a talking based therapy. It is the back and forth uh, between therapist and client, uh, between client and client. Mm-hmm. It is as if you're standing somewhere, sitting somewhere in a little cocktail party. <laughs> and One person says something and someone else says something else and someone adds to that or someone might ask a question about it. And so you get the interaction going on. And this type of therapy is essentially that normal, natural type of conversational interaction. The difficulty is that our kids who are sitting before us don't come with those, quote, cocktail skills. Mm -hmm. We have to give them those skills and we have to help them to accomplish that. So we then become, um, I guess, the facilitators of that. But but the, the plus for us is that once we are comfortable with the interactive concept and we learn how to do it, our lives as therapists become very, uh, I won't say very easy. I don't think it's ever easy, right? but it becomes much easier to plan your therapy, to execute your therapy. And I think over time, you'll start to see that, wow, you know what, this, this kid's really doing well. Um, I, I have so, so many uh, notes and un- unfortunately they each serve as a case study, uh, but I have so many notes that show me that a child starting at point A where they're either nonverbal or very close to nonverbal, maybe coming to therapy with uh, a core vocabulary of six words Mm. or of three words or five words, eight words, 
uh, and, and then you find two years later that they're asking questions. They're saying things like, I don't want to do that. Uh, one little one told me today, I'm smart. And I said, yeah, you are. He's been in therapy for a couple of years. He started as um, a child on the spectrum with essentially three word utterances. And the I'm smart is just his spontaneous expression for that particular moment. But the concept that goes with I'm smart and the other words that he's uh, the words that he's able to say, I'll show that when we do this and do it consistently, the children do learn that little one who's the I'm smart kid. He's now up to um, four word utterances, sometimes five without difficulties. Now, he is not on on par with his peers exactly, but we're at a point where we can now not only expand his language base for the MLU, but now we're at a place where we can start to shape some of those phonemes that are causing some difficulty for him, because that really is now his basic problem. Uh, diagnosed on the spectrum very early, but operating very much like a child who may not oh. be on the spectrum, simply because we've been able to pull his language skills up. And so wow. that's one thing that makes it very exciting. But, but, but the foundation and the definition that I'd like for everybody to grasp is that the basic structure for interactive language therapy literally is conversational interaction. So if, if we can kind of, you know, get that in our, in our minds, I think we'll have a, a base for beginning. Yes. Now, one thing I, I want to add to that is that when we're looking at the, that foundation as conversational interaction, we can sort of look at that this being akin to, when we're doing articulation therapy, for example. So, for example, if if we want to teach a D sound, we we sit the child down and we try to figure out where that child is in production of D. Do we have to start at placement? Uh, Can we start at, at, at syllables? Are we doing approximated syllables? Where are we with that child? And then once we, we, we do some intervention and some probing, we find that, oh, you know what? This little one needs to start right at placement. The tongue is just not in the right place. We've got to start there, get that right. Right. Once we know where we start with that D phoneme, then we know how to go forward with it. Then we know that the stimulation for that particular phoneme is at the level of placement. Well, for interactive language therapy, the stimulation is actually a sentence. And that, I think, is a little hard mm-hmm. for SLPs to grasp. As, as I have taught this before, I've had to spend some time in helping uh, students understand what you are actually trying to figure out and what you're actually presenting to each client that sits in front of you is an appropriate stimulation at a sentence level. And that level needs to be the level at which the I'll say the highest, the highest level at which that child can tolerate that sentence. So, for example, you're trying to figure out D as a placement or D in approximated syllables, D in blended syllables, etc. In interactive language therapy, you're trying to figure out, I want to increase the MLU to four to five word utterances. So you give them four to five word utterances. I want the car. You find the child saying, want car. All right, wonderful. 
uh, tell me, I want car. And the child says, want car. All right. That child has just let us know that the highest level of tolerance for a sentence for that particular one is an MLU of two. Right. They, they cannot give us three word utterances, four word utterances, but they can give us two. Now, we know from other work that if a child is giving you an MLU of two, then you stimulate with an MLU of three because you've got to give them something to shoot for. You've got to give them a goal to go toward. So they're saying want car. You say, I want car. And then you have to approximate that just as you would approximate uh, a phoneme. You also approximate sentences. So it becomes, all right, wonderful. Tell me, I want, or I want car, or I, you tell them, you give them whatever approximations they can they can give you. So it may become only one at a time. And, and when I present this work, I present it not only auditorily, but I have something visual in front of the child. I have a, a lap tray. I work from what I call knee on, K-N-E-E dash O-N, <laughs> yep. knee on therapy. So I'm sitting right in front of the children. Their, their knees are on my knees. I know that one. So I've got a lap tray. And on that tray, uh, well, you know what it is? It's just a, a mirror used to be on the wall. I took it off the wall, put some stickers on it, yeah. and I call it my therapy lap tray. There you go. So I have I have stickers and configurations of two uh, in case a child can only say want one. I have stickers and configuration of three in case a child can say I want one. Mm-hmm. I have figures and uh, stickers and configuration of four in case the child can say, may I get one? Mm-hmm. And it is very, very interesting, Charlotte, that these children will actually learn and want that visual support. So if, for example, I have a, a data collection sheet or something on top of um, the stickers, they're going to move it because they want they want to show me, they want to point to yeah. I want one yeah. or may I get one. They want to show me that they've got it. And so that that in time becomes very, very encouraging. Sure. So once we figure out where the appropriate level of a sentence for stimulation is for each child, that will take us uh, from point A on into the development over quite a lot of, uh, of skills in time. Now, nothing magical, but I tend to see results very good and very uh, good and encouraging results in about six to eight months. Mm-hmm. I, I tell parents, this is not magical. Give me a little bit of time. Uh, give us a few months and I think you're going to start seeing some nice things happen. Now, does it work with every child I've ever worked with? I'm, I'm sorry to say no, it does not. But I don't think there's anything out there that works with every child. Mm -hmm. But is this something that adds very nicely to your repertoire, to your arsenal, to your skill base? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would encourage anyone and everyone who's interested in doing something a little, um, I I guess I want to use the word viable, but they may, may not be the right word, but doing something that you you can be sure will give you credible results if implemented uh, consistently over a period of time. I would encourage this to be something that you add to your repertoire. 
Now, what age are you talking? Because uh, you're you're talking about I call them a low verbal child. That's correct. And and what age are you talking? Are you thinking maybe three, four, even any age? I was about to say it's actually not. It's it's yeah. It's not age based. It it is skill based. Okay. All right. So you might have a seven year old who, for whatever reason has not learned language. Of course, that child may have some other issues sure. um, besides speech language. You, you know how that the, the symptomatology kind of comes together. Uh, you may have a nine-year-old. I've had a 13-year-old uh, where this this has, has been very helpful. Um, uh, actually, to tell you the truth, I've had a 40, 47-year-old wow. um, who had... Uh, been diagnosed with aphasia and had been nonverbal for a couple of years. Hmm. And uh, in a sniff in a in a skilled nursing facility, I went in and started working with him hmm. and taught the same concept for him and one of his peers. We kind of worked together. And the first thing that this gentleman was able to say was, where is my money? <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and the staff thought, wait a minute, Deborah, did you teach him that? I said, No. <laughs> I taught him to speak. Yes, the content. He already had the concept. That's right. The concept <laughs> was there because he had been uh, judged to be a ward of the state, oh. and his personal income had been uh, put under oh, someone else's care. So, yeah. so the point is, it is not age okay. uh, age based, uh, Charlotte. It is skill based. Yes. Um, yes, it does work for very young children. Uh, it does work for the uh, the middle. Um, elementary age child, the the killer, the um, uh, middle school child, and on and on and on, based on the skills that the children bring to you. Now, as I said, the older they are, the more likely there will be something more than just speech language going on. But our part is get them talking, give them something to say, and then we make it clear later. And then as we get the speech pieces worked out, the language pieces worked out, it's much easier to then determine what else needs to come in there. All right. So we're talking about interactive language therapy in heterogeneous groups. Correct. And we just started with the individual that has some basic skills that we need to expand. So are you also thinking about the therapist in the schools that has three or four kids in a group. They've got a first grader, a second grader, maybe a third grader, and they're all over the, you know, the map. Some kids need heavy on vocabulary, others on um, syntax and morphology. Another kid needs, you know, higher level language skills. Um, is this approach good for them as well? It absolutely is, but it is uh, good for not only that configuration that you just gave me, but there could be a child in that group who needs to work on um, an S sound. S. Um, it could be a child who has a, a need for um, addressing a, a phoneme, addressing articulation, even phonology. I've had children in the group. In fact, I have one now where one child needs to work on syntax, one child is working on syntax, one child is working on fluency, and one child is working on uh, basic vocabulary concepts. Mm -hmm. And so what happens in that is um, you, you take the child individually for the planning, you figure out 
what targets the child who has fluency issues needs to be addressing, mm-hmm. uh, what, what fluency targets that child needs to be addressing. Uh, it, it may be that they need to be doing easy speech. Uh, they may need to be doing full breaths, whatever. And I have done both of those in this kind of interactive group for that particular type child who is in the group with the little girl who just could not get the syntax. She had words, but they were all jumble, all scrambled. She couldn't, she couldn't make her wishes and, and her needs known because she couldn't order the words. It took quite a while to get her to a point that she's ordering better. And in fact, it was just um, last week that I made a note. Mm-hmm. Order is much better. She's understanding better, but she is one that when we do the stimulation, her stimulation is, may I have one? And she's very careful that when when she wants to request something, that she does not only her auditory expressive, uh, verbal expressive, but she's pointing to those visuals. She's pointing to that, that set of four stickers, may I have one? Because that helps her with her processing. So yes, I am definitely thinking about the the uh, the person who has three kids, four kids sitting in front of them, all needing different, um, different, all having different needs, having different objectives, different goals, but needing to be in that group for whatever reason. And 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 my reasons usually, Charlotte, are efficiency. Um, if I have Miss Jones. Uh, her schedule says that I've got two kids from her class at 9.15, 9.45, and, and down the hall from her, there's Miss Smith, and she has one uh, also that, that's at 9.45 because they're on the same rotation, they're on the same schedule. Mm-hmm. So I just go and get the two here, the one here, put them in a seat, see what they need, and get going. I love that. How do you pull all this together? Because I'm sitting mm-hmm. here thinking, whoa, I love this concept. And do you have like one topic and you just keep all the plates spinning, you know, as you go around and provide right. all the carrier phrases or sometimes, yeah. You know, do you encourage them to interact with one another? What does all this look like? This is very exciting. All right. Well, it, it looks like a mumbo jumbo so <laughs> that if you're not careful, you won't know whose turn it is. All right. Mm-hmm. But the kids are really good at knowing whose turn it is. It's, oh, it's my turn. OK, so you kind of go in a circle. Yes. Yes, exactly. We go straight. We, we have an A, B, C, D or one, two, three, four, whatever, you know, um, sequencing you want. OK. But but the actual point is that each each person in the group actually is working all of the time. So it begins like this. You have a child who has a specific goal. You know what that goal is and you know what you want to accomplish. So accomplish. So say, for example, I want to accomplish a vocabulary for transportation for one kid. All right. Mm-hmm. That's my goal. All right. Now for another one, I may want to accomplish an MLU of four. For another one, I might want to accomplish um, WH questions. I don't know, just throwing some things out there. Right. Now, the the but the power, I'll say, the power is in the planning. So that for my child who needs to work on um, vocabulary in transportation, I have what I call my therapy bags. That is not 
uncommon. Everybody has a therapy bag, but within that bag is um, will will be the the items that I need for each child to be able to uh, ask for, talk about, engage with, interact with, in order to make uh, to make everything accomplished for them. So here's here's a, the basic foundation. Okay, there should be some some reward, some built-in emotional experience, some built-in communicative experience, some built-in conversational interaction. Mm -hmm. And the easiest way to get that is to have a child request something. Mm -hmm. So it becomes, there's something in the bag that a child will want. Now, if it's transportation, I've got little model cars in there, little model trucks, little model, model airplanes, little trains, all sorts of kind of fun things along the lines of transportation so that when that child says, I want one or may I get one or I need one or whatever we decide the sentence will be, when that child looks in the bag, there's something of interest, of, of a reward nature that that child can reach in and get. And when he or she gets that, then we begin our conversation about that item. Ah. So that's how I plan for uh, the person who's doing transportation for the, uh, transportation for their vocabulary buildup. Okay. So can I stop you there for a second? Ab absolutely. So are you sitting there and interacting with that child for a minute or two? Okay. Or you have some little interaction, then you go to the next kid. And then by the time you get back around, you're still up to this other child. You're still talking about transportation. Yes and no. Here, here's the, the concept. I have no timeline on how long I'm interacting with any child because we don't want to do what we call uh, individual therapy within a group. Right. Okay. I've seen that in literature. I've, I've had that thought in my head for years, but there was another author who beat me to the concept in terms of writing about it. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. Because it's not interactive <laughs> with the group. Yeah. Yeah. That's correct. I don't want to do individual therapy in a group. That's the term I should say. Okay. When this child says, um, may I get one? All right. Because this child doesn't have an MLU issue. This child has a vocabulary issue. So the MLU is probably uh, okay for uh, MLU of four. May I get one? Child reaches in, gets something. Oh, wonderful. Look at what you got. What is that? My goodness. So the child has taken it out of the bag. They have approximately three seconds or less that they can hold it in their hands. All right. Because I'm taking it from them. Ah, and as okay. I take it from them, I'm now leaning in toward other kids saying, wow, look at this. Look at what Jason got. <gasps> Jason got a train. All right. Now, Jason, tell me, I have a train. This is Jason's turn. So he starts out. Jason says, I have a train. Wonderful. I have a train. All right. Maggie, tell me train because Maggie may only be able to do an MLU of two. And if she can, I might say have train, or I might make it a little easier for her and just say, Maggie, tell me train. Perfect. Easy for you. And I'll say, uh, Alex, tell me the train is blue because Alex is working on, you know, expanding MLU or train is blue or whatever it might be. All right. All right. Fabulous. Everybody take a look at this now. All right. We've had, uh, 
Person number one had his turn because that's he's a beginning person. Person number two pulled in. Person number three pulled in. Now we start the interaction. All right, um, Jason, tell Maggie where you can go on a train. All right, and he may not know. I may have to help him, and I may have to get another child, Jason. I for, I'm forgetting the names, as we can see. Yeah, it's okay. We're getting it though. Uh, the the first child may have to help. Say we can go to the zoo on a train. Right. Maggie, tell me, go to zoo or tell me to zoo and tell this child, whatever this child needs to know, we we add it in right there. And so then one starts to tell the other. Now, here's what, what happens and the reason why you can keep this in your head as an SLP. You know that each child is either serving as the target kid as Jason was right there on his turn, he was a target kid mm-hmm. then. All right. right. Or that child is serving as an e uh, a model, as kid number three did for Maggie. Mm-hmm. Or they're serving as an evaluator. Yeah. What's that? And I haven't given you an, eva- an evaluated example. But an evaluated example would be, did you see how well he did with that? Look at that. He said... We go to zoo. We go to zoo. Four words. Wow, high five for him. Did he really do a good job with that? All right, show him your high five that he did a good job with that. All right, did he get a thumbs up on that? Perfect, he did. All four words were there. He said, we go to zoo. All right, Okay. so the the children then, they, they interact by talking to each other, giving each other high fives, giving each other models, giving them, um, evaluations of how well they think they did. Now, we don't do an evaluation every single time. We may not do a model every single time, but we do it enough that there is engagement for almost every event. We don't want children to sit there uh, and have time to think about marbles, unless marbles are the objective of the therapy. Lunch. Yeah, all those kinds of things. They, they've got to be engaged. And so the way we keep them engaged is by having them either be the target person, meaning that it's their turn, mm-hmm. or uh, an evaluator or a model. Okay. And so they've got to be working the whole time. Now, here's what happens. The children actually learn a therapy about as well as I do. They, they really do. And so if if I'm doing something for Jason and I'll say, Jason, tell me about the train. Where can you go on a train? Um, and he'll say, to the zoo. And I'll say, all right. Somebody will say, you didn't tell him he did good. <laughs> they they will they will know that I did not give him his uh, his verbal reinforcement. I didn't say, good job. You're exactly right. Did you guys hear him? He got it exactly right. All right. So they know and, and they will call me to market. I've had them several times already this school year say, you didn't say or you didn't tell, you know, you didn't tell this one that you didn't tell that one that because they start to know the therapy. They start to know what to expect, what I should be saying, what they should be doing. And they're very interested and they're very engaged mm-hmm. the entire time. But we do that by making sure that target number one does his part. Then when we're done with with his his part uh, and he gets to interact and number two and number three 
on their level based on what they're trying to accomplish, then we put that thing away. But but before I put it away, I always try to do something remote because I find that children who have language issues, they can talk in real time sitting there in front of you. Their issues become thinking away from this immediate place. Mm-hmm. So they have difficulty um, telling you where they've seen something like that or, or where you, what you might do with it as a function or when you can use something like that. So we always do a little something like that right at the end. And then I take that item and I put it away. Now it becomes child, uh, child number two's time. Number two, I think I'm saying that right. Child number two uh, turn. And so that child may have to say, um, want car, because if that's Maggie, or it might simply be for her, want one, want, W-A-N-T, one, O-N-E. It might be simple that she's going to say, want one, because her vocabulary is so low, she may not know the name of a car. She may not know the name of uh, an animal or the name of anything else. So she simply has to give me her very best, which is, Want one. All right. So she reaches in, she gets something, and it may be a, an item of transportation because there are a lot of things in there for transportation because we needed that for Jason. But it might be something else that has to do with um, the season. So you asked a few minutes ago, do I do themes? Yeah, sometimes it depends on where we are. So this would be a good time for there to be something seasonal in there, a little small pumpkin or okay. uh, a picture of something fun uh, with a family dinner or, or something. But it it is all in the planning. Yes. But once the good news is that once you get it planned, Charlotte, uh, that planning holds up for months. I'm not saying you're using the same materials. You, you do not. You change out the materials. Sure. My car is full of things that I worked with two or three weeks ago, my, my trunk. Right. Uh, but they're no longer in the bag because we don't need them in the bag right now. I changed them out, but the structure is still the same. Mm-hmm. So the child who's working on, um, on transportation, he's no longer getting the same airplane that we had a month ago. We now have a new airplane. We have a new bus. We have uh, a new pickup truck. Uh, I added a new wooden something. I, we're calling it a car. I don't quite know what it is, but it rolls. So <laughs> we just added that uh, last okay. week. So the, the point is, I, I know what should be in there for what reason. And once I get that plan for child A, uh, who is has a very definite need, for vocabulary transportation. That's probably the most difficult one to plan for because child B, who's just trying to expand MLU, you can expand that around transportation or around animals or around Thanksgiving dinner or around, you know, whatever you want to. And the third child who may be working on uh, some other language structure, let's say uh, changing up a little bit, the, the third child is working on a G sound. G as in go. All right. So for that one, the the stimulus sentence becomes, may I get one? Now, that seems like high level work, and it is. But the child's MLU can handle it. The only thing that, that cannot be handled is that G in a full sentence. But that's okay, because the, the tenant of this work says that 
you give them the highest level of tolerance and then you break it down to its parts. Mm -hmm. Now, that highest level of tolerance of tolerance is called the whole. And then you break it down to the parts as you need to. So when I get to child number three, I'm saying, tell me, may I get one? And they're going to say, let's say they're fronting. May I get one with a D? Mm-hmm. All right. You're trying real hard. But instead of putting your tongue, pulling it back and giving me a G in the back, you gave me a D in the front. Let's pull that out and see if we can get it worked on. All right. Jason, show me your D sound. D. All right. Perfect. All right. Easy for you. Maggie, let me hear. D. All right. She may or may not be able to do it, but we give her an opportunity to to um, to participate. So it becomes Jason. Show um, Jared your D sound. And they look at each other. And I tell you, uh, Jason is more uh, Im- impressed. I'm sorry. Jared is more impressed that Jason can do it <laughs> than he's impressed that I can do it. And so that serves as sort of an impetus for sure. them. But we we get them sharing, showing, telling, helping, modeling for each other in that regard. And so then what we do is, all right, a good D, uh, Jason. Now, Jared, watch me. Put your tongue up behind your, your uh, put your tongue up behind your front top teeth. Are we going to push it real hard? Make it push out, bam, with a big burst. And that sounds just like traditional articulation therapy, because at that moment. It is, all right? At that moment, you have just broken that sound down from the sentence level, down from the word level, all the way down to the level of placement. Does that make sense, Charlotte? Yeah. Okay, so we've got the manipulatives, Mm -hmm. and I could see using that with young children, Mm -hmm. younger than five. I could see me using it with early elementary kids. Now, what about your older kids, like, third, fourth, fifth grade. Are you moving into pictures? No, I'm actually still staying. You're still doing manipulatives. I am, but we're changing the developmental level now. Okay. So instead of having little um, hot wheel cars, although you'd be surprised at how far they go up. Sure. Um, most kids will like those on into, you know, um, teenage years, early teenage years, to tell you the truth. But but we change our we change our um, items now to be a little bit more appropriate. So we may get into uh, CDs or DVDs or uh, I once had a coin collection, just whatever you know the skill, the, the children's um, interests are. Mm-hmm. It might be um, patches. Um, my children played soccer when they were young. And so I have dozens and dozens of what we call patches. There's probably another name for that, but it's it's the uh the the patches that they exchange at the ends of games. So one team plays the other and your team has its logo so to speak or its banner or its there's another coat of arms almost and you just change them out. So I've used those before because the children uh, found them very interesting. I've used music, uh just all sorts of things, but you have to go with what's developmentally appropriate as you go up the ages. I had a, a little one who, um, fifth grade, who was a stamp collector. I happen to have um, a stamp collection, not a very good one, but one that I was willing to to pull some things from and willing to lose some of the right. stamps because you will lose materials. Um, and so you have to be kind of careful about that. Sure. But no, you go on up to to actual items because 
the the emotional experience whereby when they're asking for something using their communication in sentences or the best that they can and getting something for it for some children that's a new experience they're not used to being understood well enough they're not used to being um able to command the language well enough where others will respond to them in a in a very immediate and rewarding way. Correct. So yeah, it, it goes on up. But I've gone up to age 16, 17, 18 wow. with this, except I didn't have the little um my my bag was not so cute. My bag became a little bit more um business like maybe, you know. Age appropriate. Sure. Yeah, age appropriate is, is the actual word for it. Uh, but but then inside that bag, there were things that could be requested and they were of interest based on what I had determined from uh, prior interactions with the children. Wow. OK, so here is the sixty five dollar question. Well, no, it's probably more like one hundred and sixty five dollar question. Okay. And a lot of school people are going to be wondering about this data keeping. What are your recommendations? Um, when when you're doing individual therapy or you're doing therapy for just one type of disability, like for example, everybody in the group is um, working on a, a phoneme, it's very easy to keep your data. I mean that that's a that's a, a, a no no brainer there. With this type of therapy, what you're doing is making as many anecdotal notes as you can here and there. You don't get them all. You just get a, a sampling per session, uh, dated appropriately, okay. and each child's name is is the way that I keep it. Each I have a date, um, 11, 14, 19. Down the left side of a, a paper, a margin, I have the three names of the children sitting in front of me and what they're working on. As we work through the session, I'm taking as many samplings of information as I can that day, but I don't have a minimum nor a maximum on my normal therapy days. But what I do is every so often, and, and that has to be determined by the needs of the SLP in the working setting. It may be once every four sessions, once every six sessions, once every once a week, whatever it is that's determined by the SLP individually. I set aside about four minutes of my session to take data. And I said, hey, Jason, you've been working on uh, your your transportation. All right, let's 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 do a few of these and see how well you're coming along. But now here's what, what I have to do. I don't take my data on what I've been teaching on. Mm. So if I've been teaching on train, car, bicycle, bus, all right, um, uh, I may not be saying it correctly. I I might still take the data on those four items, but not the therapy items in the bag, not the same items, because I don't want that that routine and the memory to kick in. And he'll say, oh, that's a bus, that's a car, that's a train, that's an airplane. All right. right. So now I'm going to bring in, I have my little testing stuff that's ah. set aside uh -huh. and I have a different, a different car, bus, plane, train. And he has to now tell me, you know, those things. He has to generalize it out in order to be able to get credit for the the recognition or the uh, the labeling or, or whatever we might do. Same thing with um, 
with the little one who's trying to increase her MLU. All right. Uh, I'll have several things that I'm wanting her to ask for, and I'll give her five opportunities, however many I think is proper. I don't do a lot of them at one time, just smatterings of data. And she has to, I say, tell me what you say when, you know, when you want something, tell me what you say, if you want this, tell me, you know, and, and she has to start using her want one or whatever it is on a generalized basis. I'm taking data right there. Same thing with the kid who's working on the, the D sound or whatever it is. I'm giving him uh, the, the opportunity to give me that data. I, I say four minutes, it might be five, but definitely okay. no more. Sure. Just a quick smattering to get my data. And then when I, when I put it all together over time, you then start to see over tracking whether or not you're getting the increases that you're looking for. Um, it, it becomes very interesting to see, very interesting to see. Sounds like you have used this a lot in your professional life over time and you've perfected it, I bet. I have. What preceded this? What happened in your life that where you came up with this style of therapy? Well, actually, I wish I could take full credit for it, but I, but I cannot. This is a very old therapy based in work that was done at the University of Alabama Um I'm embarrassed to say this, Charlotte, back in the 50s, yeah, there was a, a couple of women whose names were uh, Ollie Backus yes. and Jane Beasley. Oh, Backus and Beasley. I remember. Do you remember that? Yes. Okay. Backus and Beasley Okay, wrote a book called Speech Therapy with Children in 1951. Uh, Bacchus was, uh, had been, uh, she had been in the profession under the scientific sort of base and she just kept feeling like we're missing something. We, we're, we're taking data. We're being behavioral. We're being scientific, but, but we're not getting the communication pieces together. Mm-hmm. Then a student came in whose name was Jane Beasley. Jane had been a, a former teacher. She understood developmental progressions. Of, of child learning. She understood uh, child behavior, uh, how to shape that behavior. And so the two of them got together and wrote this book. And, and what the book is based on, actually, that's, that's, that's the opposite. What my work is based on is that book. And how I came into this information was through my first clinical supervisor. And I also do not want to give you that year, <laughs> but um, she came from the University of Alabama okay. to where I was doing my undergraduate work at the University of South Alabama in Mobile and taught us this particular style. Now, that particular supervisor would have been, it's not clear to me whether she would have been second generation from Bacchus and Beasley or third generation. I'm, I'm going to say uh, possibly third generation, but she taught us that structure. Okay. Uh, and, and that structure stayed with me over all these years. Wow. Now, what was nice about that is that as I learned more and more from what Bloom and Leahy did in 1978, sure. and what we started to see about child development, and I happen to have a, a pretty decent background in child development because of that master's degree in early childhood education. I could see all of these pieces coming together and making perfect sense. 
Now, I had a good question posed to me about two months ago. I was talking to a young professional, uh, maybe mid, mid-level mid professional, maybe in her 15th, 18th year, somewhere in there. And she said, well, do you think that's an old-fashioned way of doing therapy now? And I said, hmm, let me give it some thought. Uh, I said, good question. And I pondered it for a moment. I said, you know, it might be old-fashioned in terms of uh, of references to technology and all that's available today. I said, but in reference to the the rewards, in reference to the outcomes, in reference to what children come to understand about communicating verbally and how well they come to understand it using this technique, I have to say, no, I don't believe it's outdated. Now, if anyone is interested in making it um, more palatable for technology, I think that would be wonderful. I probably have not much thought about doing that, but um, but if somebody were to do it, I would certainly be interested in, in, in looking at whether I could make something happen quicker because that's always my objective. All right. All right. I know how to do this, but can you show me how to do it better and quicker? All right. Sure. Yeah. I, I came to it from Bacchus and Beasley all those years ago. Yeah. And the work that I have continued to do is still based on that. I have to give them full credit. I, I, I didn't develop it on my own. I just made it my own. There you go. By learning well enough to implement it anywhere I go. And I, and I tell you, Charlotte, uh, this works so well for me that one time I had to do therapy. I walked into a session I had to do therapy and all I had with me was my purse. Huh. All right. I, I dug down that purse and found some lipstick and some this and some that and some this. And I put it in a lunch bag and we got going. <laughs> all right. I like, love it. Here we go. All right. Here we go. The The stimulus is not um, so much the materials. The stimulus is the structure and how we put it together. I know that the stimulus has to be the highest tolerance of a sentence. So I try to get the highest tolerance of a sentence that I can get when I find I cannot get that by giving them the whole sentence. Then I break that sentence down to the next level down. That doesn't work. I go down to the next level and all the way down. And I have actually done this type therapy in an interactive heterogeneous group where a very bright uh, fifth grader, oppositional defiant, this objective was to make the um, uh, vocalic R, er, all right? Right. He participated by showing up. He did that for an entire year. Uh. He almost never missed the session, but he never gave me one example. He never imitated one phoneme the entire year. So as we would get to child A, this will say uh, child B, opposition of the finest child B. Child A, I'm saying, tell me what you're working on. He's, and he said, I'm working on da-da-da-da. Wonderful. And child B, tell me what you're working on. Saying nothing. You're working on er. You make that by. And Charlotte, by the way, I, I would give him how you teach that, uh, that sound. That's how I came into some of your work. I, I learned to teach the vocalics by by talking about the work that you had done with stabilization placement, all that. I love that work. Oh, bless your heart. All right. So I would, I would just tell him 
what his tongue should be doing and move on to child number three. Yeah. Child number four. And so one day somebody says, he, he never says anything. I said, it's okay. We're doing, he's doing well. He's here and he's learning. And so we would do the therapy and I would still have uh, children do examples for this child who's, who's oppositional, not doing anything. Other kids making progress. And Charlotte, I'm serious about this. I moved that kid right through the progression of isolation and then um, the next level of whether we're doing um, approximated syllables or whatever into the, the word level on, on, on through the entire school year. I would imagine where he should be if he were talking. All right. Yes. And do this therapy. And at the end of the school year, when I finally met his mother, I said, we've been working on earth this year. He's done a really good job of showing up and had that much conversation with us, but he's done a really good job of showing. He says, I can make that sound. Oh, he said, er, 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 er. Um, and he, and he uh, I mean, he, he got it. Yeah. He gave me er in words, er in sentences, er in phrases. He was getting it yeah. because I'm giving him the example. His peers are giving him the example. Yeah. It's, it's still working, although he never said one single word the entire school year. So I believe in it. That's amazing. I believe in it to that degree. So I can, I can, I've made it my own and I can pretty much transfer it to probably 70, 80% of, of the work that I do now. It doesn't work for everything. It doesn't work. I haven't found a way to make it work for residents. Residents has much more of a scientific base in some regards. Um, it, it possibly work with the examples, but that's one thing I really have not tried it with. But I have tried it. Arctic phonology, have tried it language and all aspects of language, have tried it with uh, voice, have tried it with fluency. Good results with it all. Been very, very excited. Very exciting. Wow, Deborah, you are just a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of experience. And, you know, our 50 minutes have just flown by. I appreciate you so much and, and all of your contributions and all of your practical ideas and everything that you are and have contributed to our field. So I just want to thank you, Deborah. Oh, thank you, Charlotte. I appreciate it. It's been fun for me. I've really had a good time. Thank you. Take care now. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you for listening to the speech link. Please check out my other offerings at my website, charvoshart.com, and also speechtherapypd.com. See you next time for more interviews, information, and insights. Until then, thank you so much for all that you do with your speech kids. Be well, and God bless.